very much. Thank you. Well, we bring greetings once again in the name of Jesus, the only one who is worthy. And I trust that tonight we meant what we sang and we said amen to what Brother Todd just shared. Again, it almost seemed like Todd had seen my one section of my notes, but I believe he's exactly right. That if we end up hearers and not doers, the Bible would probably say we would have been better off not being hearers. But friends, we don't have to, that, that's, we're not forced with those two choices. We have the choice of we can hear and do. Very, very critical. I would like to take this time to say thank you to each one. We came here a couple days ago and, and most of you were complete strangers. We still don't know all of you, but we, we've appreciated getting to know some of you and, and meeting you. Thank you for the meals, for your generosity. I've been struck by that. You know, we've, we've gone to some different areas and, and almost always I come away feeling like, boy, you know, I sure learned something from that group. And generosity and kindness and love and, uh, and I sure did here as well. So thank you. And God bless you as you continue to press forward and look for the return of the Lord. That's what it's all about. One day, that's all that will matter is were we ready for that day. Just one more note. We, uh, Since we're involved in printing and used to be involved in publishing, we, have, we brought some uh, uh, coloring activity books. They're in the back for you children. I don't know what age limit to set, but I think we have enough for all the young children. So, And I think our daughter would kind of like to help pass them out. So if you see her after the service, in the back, uh, she'll give you a coloring book. Well, we'd like to think about one more subject tonight for the weekend. <clears throat> I've entitled it, Attitudes That Build the Body of Christ. This morning, we talked about the home. And of course, the home is a major and very crucial part as we think about the theme of the weekend, crucial moments in life. The home is a very, very crucial part of God's plan, but the church is also. And the question comes to us tonight, what kind of a church member am I? And maybe there's a secondary question there. Does it matter what kind of a church member I am? Or does God just kind of... Uh, well, you know, that's just kind of an afterthought. It's kind of a secondary thing. It's, it's really not that crucial. We can kind of pick and choose. After all, my parents did that. or I've seen others do it. They've seemed to get along. name of the game nowadays is let's, let's not support any more than we have to. And friends, I'd like if somehow tonight we could get a handle on what does the Bible say about the body of Christ. What does the Bible say about the way we build? Maybe I'll read all the verses of the poem tonight. Only one life will soon be passed. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do we really believe that tonight? Do we really believe it? And like Brother Todd said, will we believe it tomorrow morning? Will we believe it this week? Will we believe it when we're tempted, as the, just as the poet said, that only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'd like to turn to Haggai. Most of the message I'd like to take out of Ephesians chapter 4. There's about four verses there and then consider some points from that passage. But I'm struck again by the prophet Haggai. And, and this, is, this is a time when uh, when the temple was laying in ruins and Haggai asked some very pertinent questions and he has some very pertinent thoughts that I believe are very relevant for us today as we think about the day and age in which God has placed you and I. We couldn't help that. Uh, we can't help at what time we were born or, or the, the fact that we're here now, but we can help what we do with being aware of where we are and what is going on and what how God wants us to live during that time. And Haggai asked some questions. I'd like to read the first nine verses. I believe it's the first nine. Yes, first nine verses of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto 
his own house. So we could go on and read, and and there's there's another there's there's a further message here, but I'd like to just consider a couple things from these nine verses. And the one is: Is it time? Is it time today for the church to becoming more and more and more independent-minded? Now that was prophesied. I realize. I realize in the New Testament we could turn to places where it says that in the last days men will be lovers of themselves and they'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But I ask this evening for this church right here and for the church that I represent and for these churches that that are still hearing and wanting to adhere to the Word of God, is it time for us to become more and more and more independent-minded? Friends, I'd like to I'd like to think about the fact that it perhaps we're living at. Uh, at the eve of the return of Jesus Christ. And when I say eve, I'm not trying to predict that He'll return tomorrow. Please get me right. But when you consider all that's taken place and all that is taking place, how long will it be before Jesus Christ returns? And I believe there's a message just like the message of the prophet Haggai when he said, Is it time? Now for them it was the question of is it time for you all to run to your houses and have a focus that's there where you build your houses and you're paying no attention to the house of God that lies in ruins. But I wonder today, is it time for us to become more and more wrapped up and involved in in sports and in pleasures and in hobbies and in all kinds of things that we have very little time left for the church of Jesus Christ? Is it time? And then he says twice something that I believe is so important. He says, consider your ways. And what does that mean? Does it mean think about it for about five seconds and then keep right on going the direction you were going? No. It's just like James chapter 1 that Brother Todd read. Look in that mirror and consider. Consider. Take it to heart. That's the idea behind the word consider is take it to heart. Let it get deep within you and think about how you're living and are you building the way God wants you to build? Am I building the way God wants me to build? Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. I'd like to turn now to the New Testament. And this is a rich book. It's a tremendous book that was written to the church and no doubt there have been many sermons preached from it. I'm not trying to say anything new. I'd like to just remind us of some things that are here in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, and then verse 32. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, as we think about our title tonight, Attitudes That Build the Body of Christ, and an attitude is a complex mental state involving beliefs, feelings, values, and dispositions to act in certain ways. And I realize those are some long words, so let's just bring it down to man's language, to something we can easily understand, things on the inside that manifest themselves on the outside. Things that are going on inside of us that affect how we act and how we relate and how we talk. And what we do. Those of you with children here, I'm sure this is nothing new. That pretty early in life, children should be introduced to the effectiveness and beauty of attitude changes. You know, yes, it was the hand that moved that crayon up and down the wall about 30 times. 
but it was the mind that told the hand to go ahead and do it. Now, does it only stop with children? Does it only affect children? There's a reason that the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Christ? Tonight as I pondered this again, I thought about that saying, in, or that verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where the Bible says that Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. And that goes right along with that question from the prophet Haggai where he said, is it time? And, and as we consider the fact that Jesus, Jesus is, is perhaps the return of Jesus is very, very close, is it time for us to be disregarding the fact that He broke down that middle wall of partition, friends? He wanted to bring us together. He did not want to br- split us apart. He wanted fellowship that's centered around Him and that's centered around His Word. And I wonder, what's the state of my attitudes? You know, you observe that child and the only way that happiness is really restored is when both the mind and the actions are now in harmony with each other. And that child is happy. I remember so well hearing, I went on a trip with one of our employees one time and he was talking about a boy that that he grew up with and this boy apparently never or very rarely or seldom got disciplined. And this boy just kind of got whatever he wanted. And, and, and I guess in modern language we'd say he was spoiled. And, but you know, it's no surprise where that boy is today. He's been in drugs. I'm not sure where all he's been. But friends, tonight we need, to, we need to, to know the beauty of having our attitudes and our mindsets adjusted. And not just... Just like children, if you just try to appease them, oh, you know, if you quit writing on the, quit writing on the wall, I'll give you a piece of candy. Does that really bring happiness? And when we think about our attitudes in the body of Christ, and and when we're told, oh, you know, if if you quit doing this, we'll we'll quit we'll quit talking about this, or or we'll we'll, we'll appease you. Really? Is is that really what it takes to make us happy? Or do we know the value and benefit of attitude changes where we realize, you know what, what's been manifesting itself on the outside is because of something that's going on on the inside and I need to deal with both. Ephesians chapter 4. There's some verses I'd like to turn to and this morning we went over time. I'd like to keep that from happening tonight, but I'd like to just refer back a little bit to Ephesians before we get to verse four, or chapter four, where it says, "I therefore," and and I I still remember. I think it was one of our retired bishops or something that said, "Whenever there's the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for." And I think that's a good idea. But you go back to the book of Ephesians and it's a book that's so rich in, in the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ and, and the many things that we've been blessed with as we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and, and there's so many things. It begins right at the beginning where it talks about that we're, we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise and gives us all sorts of promises. Uh, tremendous blessings that are ours. Maybe we'll just look back to one in, in chapter 3, verse 20, 
where the Bible says now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Friends, we don't have to worry. I think I had this conversation with somebody this weekend and we talked about the grace of God and how often do we stop and just... Just stand in awe as we think about the fact that we needed all that grace yesterday, but today God still has just as much grace as He had before I came. And by the way, it wasn't only me that needed that grace, but it was a whole bunch of people. But God has just as much grace. And the Bible says here, He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And then Paul says... I therefore, it points us to the first attitude I'd like to think about, and it's an attitude of unworthiness. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. How much time are we spending thinking about what Jesus has done for us? Is there a problem? Is is there an attitude problem among us because we're not spending enough time thinking about what Jesus has done for us? And if we are spending time thinking about what He's done for us, is it making a difference in how we live? I I meant to say this this morning. I I talked about the introduction I got to Wisconsin with the the people that were upset on the road. I talked to another man that we were at Culver's there. I'm still not quite sure why he came up to me. He said something about sometimes he wishes he would have gotten married instead of going to the service first. And and I made some comment about, you know, I, I tried to give credit to the Lord. I said, well, it's the God we serve. And he said, well, what if the God we serve allows the IRS and Social Security to do things that, that they know I want to do and then they, they block that? That's not right. You know, I think attitudes of unthankfulness are far too prevalent among us. Here's a man that lives in a country that millions and millions and millions and millions of people would long to live at a place where they can pay the taxes he pays. But somehow he came up 30% short of the plans for his life and he's not happy. That's not right. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. This morning we talked about the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It goes on. It says, Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. How much time are we spending thinking about that? That really, I deserve death. I deserve nothing more than death. And any life I get, anything that Jesus Christ gives me is a wonderful and tremendous blessing from Him and I need to reckon myself as dead apart from what Jesus Christ has done for me. I think it would go a long way in our attitudes, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the school, business relationships, whatever it is, I think it would go a long way if we spent more time thinking about the fact that we deserve death, but we've been given life. If the Son therefore shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. We've been given life. Paul, five times in the New Testament, he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
Second Timothy 1.8, he refers to himself as a prisoner. And I believe he's bringing out the fact that he's more than just a prisoner of the Roman Empire, although he knew all about that too. But he's bringing out the fact that he's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what would happen if more of us considered ourselves prisoners. We used to go visit somebody in jail. Somebody my wife went to school with was an accomplice to a murder. She's out now. But I still remember very clearly her complaining about the food. You know, they just they don't season the food. It's just it it just doesn't taste good. And now wait a minute. Did did somebody tell you you needed to get here, or or how how did this all unfold? But somehow now it's her right to complain about the food where she's spending time because of the things she did and things she got involved in. But how much better is it for us? When we claim to be servants of Jesus Christ, voluntary servants of Jesus Christ, but boy, don't cross our path or we're going to complain. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, I understand it may have been in a small cell with a hole in the ceiling and that hole was perhaps his only way out to the outside world. And yet read through the book of 2 Timothy. How much complaining do you find? How much bitterness? How many times do you find the words, it's not fair? I don't find them. You know what I find? Exhortation. When he calls himself a prisoner and he, he says he's in chains and, and really he's, he's under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ and he's exhorting others. You know, don't let these chains deter you or, or, or you know, keep pressing on, keep being faithful. I wonder if there's something missing in our churches today. Because when we have a complaining, complaining spirit, we will not have an exhorting spirit. You can bank on it. Second attitude. He says he's a prisoner. And the second attitude I find is walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He begs them. He beseeches them. And it has the idea here of an invitation. You know, what a tremendous gift. What a tremendous blessing. Paul is saying that that he wants them to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they've been invited to become a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, a son or daughter of God. And walk worthy of that vocation. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called or hath invited you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. God invites us. You know, this, this weekend we talked the first evening about, about choices and doors that we should never open. But, but God invites. God, please, make this choice. I want you to become a son or daughter of mine and I want you to find freedom and I want you to walk in that freedom and I want you to have joy and peace and rest in life and I want you to look forward to heaven. He invites us. 
Have we accepted that invitation and then have we realized that it was by invitation only and we're only there because God invited us, not because we've been good enough or not because we've somehow drummed something up of our own. We're only there because God invited us. And what has that done to my view of my rights and how I'm now fulfilling that responsibility? 1 Corinthians 7.20 says, Let every man abide in the same calling to which he hath been called. And if I understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying, and back then, being a servant or being free was a major thing. You find that throughout the Bible. But he's saying, whether you're a servant or whether you're free, make the very most of it. Fulfill it to, to whatever degree God has for you. Wherever you find yourselves tonight... How do you feel if if somebody has been invited to a vocation and they're trying this vocation and you know they're only giving it about a half-hearted attempt and then they come away from it saying, oh, that doesn't work. It doesn't feel very good because you know full well it works if you apply yourself. But they come away saying, oh, it doesn't work. Paul wants us to represent Christianity well within the church. And I wonder, how well am I representing it? Christianity, you know, that job. Let's go back to the vocation part a little bit. What would you think if a farmer came to you and said, you know, you really need to get into farming? We came up about $10,000 short last year. We could barely put enough food on the table and, and our children are not able to go to school because we don't have enough money for it. Would you say, oh, great, I, I'm going to get into farming. No. But what if Christianity is not meeting the very basic spiritual needs in man, in, in your and my life? And, and the people we rub shoulders with catch an attitude of complaining and bitterness. Ah, you know. Oh, you, you know, you just don't know my church and you don't know how far off they are and what they're doing and, and they're just way too strict and. Oh, I'd like to become a Christian. Absolutely. Paul says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called. Does my attitude as a Christian and a church member, would it attract people into the church? Or would it discourage people away from the church and from Christianity? It's doing one or the other. I hope I'm not stating that too strongly, but I believe it's doing one or the other. And may God help us. Walking worthy. I'd like to think a little bit about that term. Gary Miller, he brings out a point in his book that I believe is very relevant. In his book, Charting a Course, he brings out the difference in early Christianity and much of Christianity today. In Acts, the common word for followers of Jesus was disciples. You know what the common word is today? Believers. Now, there's nothing wrong, and I don't want to for a minute 
minimize believing. The Bible says in Romans 10.9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We must believe. But this is where it goes so well with what Brother Todd brought out from the book of James. You know, if, if the believing stops there, today there is no end to things we can go to help us believe better. We can go to seminars. We can go to all kinds of different things. There's all kinds of different books written that will help us believe better. And there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But is that believing finding expression in your and my life? And if it's not, I believe there's an imbalance there. And I believe it's Brother Gary that says, if I can find it in my notes here, he says we tend to boil Christianity down to a system of beliefs. You know, just believe. As long as you believe right. Is that really what the Bible says? Is that really what Paul is saying when he says walk worthy? He doesn't say believe worthy. He says walk worthy. Believing is part of it, but so is walking. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, is talking about Jesus. We talked about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, it goes on, it says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What would it be like today to to represent a Christianity where Jesus wrote a book on sacrificial obedience and that got handed down to us. We've kind of referred to this before, but what would, what would it be like? He didn't do that. He went on to obedience, even to death, the death of the cross. There's a couple of verses in Galatians 5. Maybe I'll turn to that. Galatians 5, verse 16 and verse 25 that talk about walking. This I say then, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Very, very important. The second attitude that Paul calls us to, the walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. The third attitude, with all lowliness and meekness. And you know, I'm sure you other ministers that are here have found this exciting as well, but isn't it wonderful the balance that this book brings out? Paul says we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called and some of us are ready to go and we take off running. We're not going to let anybody stop us. We're just going to, we're just going to plow ahead and if somebody tries to stop, well, we're supposed to walk worthy. We're supposed to do it with aggression. We're supposed to do it with zeal and we just run right over people. No. Paul says we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called with all lowliness and meekness. I'm not sure why this comes to me now, but in the hospital after I'd cut my fingers off, the nurses had a phrase they'd use. They'd say, hurry up and keep on waiting. You know, it kind of seems contradictory. But I believe we're we're to find balance in this. That we're to walk worthy. We're to have a zeal. We're to have a passion for it. But we're to do it with all lowliness and meekness. And so much damage has been done by that imbalance where we stress this one area of zeal and of, of running ahead full force and if we're not careful, we run over people. And that's not what the Bible calls us to. Micah 6.8 says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy 
and to walk humbly with thy God. Galatians 6.3 For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Philippians 2.3 Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. What does it mean to have lowliness and meekness? Sometimes I think we've, under, we've misunderstood humility. In fact, I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians 16 yet, verses 13 and 14. And I love the balance that this brings to this, where it calls us to, to stand strong. And it says, uh, verse 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And it goes on and says, Let all your things be done with charity. In other words, be strong, be vigilant, be steadfast, but let all your things be done with charity. And humility is not trying to somehow disfigure my face like the Pharisees did and boy, look at how humble I am. Look at how meek I am. No. Rather, I believe it's the attitude that John the Baptist had. Now, John the Baptist was was intent on fulfilling the purpose that God had for him in life. But you know what he said? He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's the attitude that comes from our life where where we want to do this with all humility, we want to do this with all love, and we want to do it considering other people, meekness and gentleness. And how often I've failed that. We talked about children earlier and about that attitude that needs to be adjusted when they're doing things they know they're not to be doing. But, you know, as we as we think about children, as we think about... Uh, raising children and, and the importance of this. Children should not come up against these things with, with loud, harsh, demanding voices. Rather, they should understand what a calm no means. I believe there's a lesson there for us as church leaders that we are called to fulfill a responsibility, but we're called to do it faithfully, but in humility and meekness and in gentleness. Galatians 6, one, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Do you know what's sad? This morning we talked a little bit about two things that don't line up. How often have churches today gone down the road of, well, these things aren't lining up, so let's just let's go, let's go back to that lowest common denominator. Friends, I believe, as we think about this point, this attitude of lowliness and meekness, that a biblically meek person will not be afraid to address issues, but rather he'll use biblical methods and means to do so. I believe that's what the Bible would call us to. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls. Second Corinthians 10 verse 1, beginning of the verse, Paul said, Now I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. If our Master, the one we're supposed to pattern our lives after, was described as a meek person, I believe we need to be as well as his followers. Fourth attitude, with long-suffering, forbearance, and love. And as you think about 
The child again is in rebellion. There's another key factor here that has become almost a laughing stock in society, and it's sad. In fact, we just had revival. Some of you would know Brother Joe Wangard. He was just at our church, and I wish I could remember the story. He told me it was some story about two boys that were playing, and the one boy's mom says, Johnny, time to go. And the other boy looks over at Johnny and says, uh, didn't, didn't she call you? Isn't it time to go? And, oh, no, no. Johnny! And it keeps getting louder and louder. And finally, when it's at the, the proper decibel, then Johnny says, Yep, now it's time to go. Is that what long-suffering is? Oh, we can't expect Johnny to, to heed to the first call, or the second or third. He, he needs about five calls before he's ready to go. What kind of church member am I? Yeah, I know you said something, but I just haven't really... Haven't really been able to get to that. I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm. There's an attitude here that that we're called to to bear with people, but I believe this attitude is not a license. It's, it's another place I think we've misunderstood things. You know, Jesus, he was referred to as being, God has been referred to as being long-suffering. And if you, I don't think we'll turn to those verses, but long-suffering is one of the, uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And the Bible tells us twice in the book of 2 Peter that God is long-suffering. But you know why he's long-suffering? It's for the purpose of salvation in his people. Long-suffering is not meant to be a license for sin. Long-suffering and, and bearing with them in love, what Paul is calling us to here, I believe, is, is that we keep encouraging people, we keep maybe reminding them, maybe keep pointing things out, and, and we see them coming to the right direction, and we walk beside them, and we forbear with them, we bear with them, we help them along. That's what I believe the attitude should be. Not as a license for sin. I wonder where I would be today if, if the people that tried to help me were always so patient and forbearing. You know, that, that's the name of the, oh, well, just have patience, just be forbearing. But I wonder if, if they'd have been so forbearing that they never, they never pointed out sin in my life and told me, look, you really need to change. I wonder where I would be today. If they'd have never said, you know, this attitude is not becoming for a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder where I would be today. And the fifth attitude. Earnestly desiring to keep truth and peace. Verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I believe there's some very critical language here for the church that we need to pay attention to and take heed to. The, the, the way I read it as the fifth attitude, I believe, is a, maybe a modern day way to put it, but earnestly desiring to keep truth and peace, that word endeavoring to keep, is a very strong word that carries the idea of intensely laboring with diligence. And I don't believe there's a mistake there where it says to keep. It doesn't say endeavoring to regain. 
It says endeavoring to keep. And I'm sure all of you would know whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in what you've seen in your children or whatever it may be, you know that while it's very, very difficult at times to keep things, it's perhaps doubly difficult to get them back. And Paul says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is meant by the bond of peace? In Colossians 3 verse 14, it says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And those words, it's from the original Greek word of sundesmos, and it has the idea of something that joins together a uniting principle. And I wonder, can we have a bond of peace without the unity of the Spirit? And what is that bond of peace? What is so important that it bonds us together? I believe it's the Word of God. And we as churches, as we think about building the church, as we think about our attitudes within the church, we have no right to push for this thing. Well, let's just agree to disagree. Let's just ignore some biblical principles, that some things that God has clearly spelled out. Let's just ignore them for the sake of peace. Is that what Paul is calling for here when he says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? There's probably woodworkers to here. There's probably welders here as well that, that would understand when I say, you know, and this is the meaning behind this word, this, this word bond, but but what happens if you're trying to get a panel together? And I can imagine sometimes it's a little frustrating. You know, you've got these six pieces and everything's supposed to line up just right. Not just this way, but also this way. And But as you're working with that, all at once you say, you know what, it's not quite right, but I'm just going to glue it and clamp it and we'll deal with it later. Do you really have a better situation? No, you're probably going to have to go back and undo some things later and then redo them. And I believe that's what we're, we're being called to here in the book of Ephesians is that we earnestly strive to keep that, that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Where we strive to keep truth and peace alive. And I know we've talked about this as well. But I believe it is so, so important. That, that as you build, as you think about your attitudes in the church of Christ, that you're striving to promote truth and peace. The Bible does it all over the place. Promote truth and peace. Promote things that, that will make for peace within the brotherhood and promote things that are the truth of God's Word. Very, very important. And then Colossians... Or, uh, Verse 32, Ephesians 4, verse 32. And I love how this ends up because it, you know, he calls us, in verse 1, he calls us to look back to all the blessings that are ours through, through Jesus Christ. And then verse 32, he says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In other words, it points to what Jesus Christ has done for us and then let that be an attitude that gets into your mind and heart. Let that be an attitude that gets into my mind and heart as I relate in the church. And when somebody comes to apologize about something, you know, I'm sorry I did this, we don't say, well, or 
We might not say it with words, but we can very easily say it with actions. We'll, we'll see how the next couple of weeks go and we'll see if you're sorry. Have you ever experienced that with Christ? No. How often have you felt burdened and have you felt like, you know, I have to get this thing off my chest and you come to Him and, and you pour out and you ask for His forgiveness. You ask for forgiveness. You ask for grace and help. And it's there. And Paul is saying that we're to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Points back to something that happened that should make a difference in how we live. And as we think about building the church, I'd like to think about one more example tonight. And this is something we referred to earlier I believe I said the first night, it's amazing how you can get people from 2,000 miles apart, drop them in the same community, and it seems like if their attitudes are the same, within three days they'll have found each other. As we think about building church, I'd like to, I'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. There's some verses here that are so important and And I believe God knew that we would need them. And we need them today. We need to to be encouraging each other. Verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And verse 24 and verse 25, so, so important. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. May I just encourage you tonight that, that when we talk about these people that are, that are, that come from 2,000 miles apart and they come to the same community and they kind of have a common enemy and they find each other, that can also be true in the positive. And Hebrews tells us here that as we see the day approaching, we're not supposed to be getting more more independent minded there's not supposed to be more and more splits there's supposed to be a coming together exhorting each other my mind was drawn to that so clearly some years ago and and I realize you have more snow here than we do there so you probably see this uh, more often but but we were on our way to church and it was probably 50-55 degrees all the snow had melted that, that you could see clearly but but as we came by the school I happened to look over and there by the fence was this little this little string of snow, maybe four inches wide, just kind of stretched along the fence. And why is it that that snow, while, while all the snow around it had melted, that snow still had not melted? And then there was another example, and this was on, on the, another temperature side where, where some friends of ours, they had roasted hamburgers the night before and they had a fire ring there and they had built this fire and they had hamburgers. Nobody gave it any thought. Nobody dumped any water on that fire. The next day their son made the mistake of jumping into that fire ring barefooted. And the result was not pleasant. But now think about it tonight. You take a little teaspoon of that snow and you put it off about one foot beside the pile or just four inches. And within minutes it's gone. 
You take a hot ember out of that fire ring and, and lay it right outside the fire ring. And within minutes, it's cold. And I encourage you, I leave you with this, I encourage you that like kind will preserve like kind. That snow, when it's surrounded by other snow, will stay snow for a long time. That hot ember, when it's surrounded by other hot embers, will stay a hot ember for a long time. Like kind will preserve like kind. And what kind of builder am I in the church of Jesus Christ? Am I encouraging others to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Or am I discouraging others from being faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven,